0: And welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I was out last week, but it's nice to be back uh, with my co-host, uh, Rob Hunt, in San Diego, who where I just was and actually uh, had the pleasure of visiting with Rob while I was down there and having a chance to catch up with him face-to-face for a change instead of just always seeing him in the fun in the sun. Rob, how are you?
1: I'm great, and Larry, that was a lot of fun. It was really nice to get a chance to see you and hang out and smoke a joint in the top of the hotel uh, in San Diego, so that was a... Uh, Good way to spend a day, and great to catch up, meet your wife, meet some of your friends. So really, really enjoyable to, to see you and, and meet some other fellow Grateful Dead fans as you guys were sort of gallivanting around Southern California.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We went on that night to uh, see the uh, last show on the Eddie Vedder tour, and we could talk about that for hours. I, I'm a big Eddie Vedder fan, and uh, I've always liked Pearl Jam uh this show was just uh, absolutely amazing and, and this little thi- it was basically a community theater in el cajon that looked like walking into either you know a really nice high school or maybe a community college type of auditorium you know with just one layer of seats and eddie was up on stage with all these guys and man, they kicked ass all night. It was just, uh, it was great, great music. And I have to give a shout out to my buddy Alex, who was with us on the uh, trip and who uh, had the uh, musical karma uh, and insight enough to be able to note that uh, the show had previously been canceled and now was rescheduled for this night, which also happened to be uh, the birthday of his wife, Andy Greenberg, another good friend of our show. And uh, it was great to be with them and see great music. But, Today, we've got uh, something very, very interesting planned, and I think, uh, Rob, it's fair to say that this is part of the uh, uh, creative synergy that came out of you and I sitting up on the rooftop there for a little while and talking about the state of the world uh, and other things while we enjoyed uh, uh, certain products, and uh, although it's not normally our, our place to do a lot of talking on this show about politics or things like that other than how they affect marijuana in this instance? You know, given everything that's going on in the world, it's kind of hard to miss, you know, the significance of what's happening out there. So, uh, why don't you give everyone a, a brief little intro into uh, our theme for today and how we got to it?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think for both you and I, it's, it's a theme that you know means something on a on a personal level, uh, simply because you know, "Morning Dew" is a a song that I think means so much to both of us. But from this, you know, from the perspective of why why "Morning Dew." You know, it's a song that obviously is uh, very well associated with Grateful Dead and has been since 1966, and it's been one of the only songs in their catalog that was never put away or shelved. It was, you know, there from the beginning. It was there all the way to the end. You know, many, many people I know would say that Morning Dew is is their all-time favorite song uh, at a show. It's the one that you were, you know, desperately hoping for coming out of space, you know, to to finish a show. But more importantly, from, like, a thematic perspective, uh, it was written by a woman named Bonnie Dobson, and Bonnie Dobson, from what I understand, wrote the song after uh, seeing the movie on the beach, which is about, you know, the, the last survivors of um, basically full global annihilation after a nuclear holocaust. And the day that you are sitting up there, I think, was the, uh, the day that uh, Putin put the world on notice that he was putting his nuclear arsenal on high alert. You know, and as we discussed there's no such thing as you know low alert for a nuclear arsenal if you have one and you've got a, a button and you've got the nuclear football that rides around with the president or the president of any nuclear armed nation then, then you know there's no such thing as low alert but since pre 1989 I don't think there's ever time that we've seen where we had to think about it you know like, or, or to think about it very much that there is anyone out there that's potentially crazy enough to uh to, to, to even think that yeah, I'm sorry.
0: Why don't you talk for a minute, there? Yeah, no problem. And I and I get it, Rob. This is, look, you know, the other thing we talked about, we're fathers, we're family men, we have friends, we have everything. And, you know, we find ourselves in a really, really tricky moment here. And it's very unfortunate that, you know, notwithstanding all the politics that, you know, people are playing with it, it you know, you, you can't escape from the fact that it is a... Um, a real life moment for all of us and and you know we hope as with any time one of these types of issues come up the cooler heads will prevail but one of the things that we've always been uh very good about it as human beings i think you know is having the uh the resources and the uh abilities to help ourselves kind of not just get through these times, but to actually uh, comment on them and 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 to try to take something out of them. and I think that that's what Bonnie Dobson did in this song when she wrote it originally is uh, you know I, I hate to I hate to talk about something being artistic when it relates to such a uh, such a sensitive topic, but you know she really took an artistic view, and she but I, I think it was artistic in the sense of trying to say to the world, hey, this is what's happening and and let's not lose sight of the seriousness of this you know it's one thing to talk about a nuclear holocaust it's another thing to you know to realize it and and to see where it leaves us on the back end and uh, I think in that regard the song was very very important uh, in terms of being written in that it uh, by becoming a part of uh, almost folk tunes in the way it was first written by her in in, in a style that's very very different from the way uh, the dead and Jerry wound up performing it Um, It's almost as though she is issuing a warning. Uh, to the world and I think it was probably a message that resonated at that time in the early 1960s when the folk movement was very very strong and was filled with people uh, who were leaders in the uh, thought movement with respect to uh, being pacifists and being community people and really wanting to see the world be a better place and uh, staying away from war and and kind of the mindless killing that goes along with it and, and really understanding hey what can happen on the backside, and and so I suppose in that regard, you know, I, I would like to think in part because of what the song represents, but almost surely also because of the type of tune that it was—a folk tune, a tune that uh, uh, you know really kind of resonated—is probably why Jerry originally went after it, and um, I, I think it's fair to say, uh, with all due respect to Bonnie Dobson, who as the author and original pro- performer of the tune always deserves all the credit for it. Um, but Jerry really made it his own and Jerry put a, a stamp on this song and uh, uh, an image on this song that it, it's just not possible to turn away from it and it's it's a soulful performance that, that that sends the message that Bonnie Dobson wanted to send and does send. but I think you know from kind of a different perspective and instead of almost being the harsh wa- awakening uh, of, a, of a, a crazy landscape that, that Bonnie Dobson sings about, uh you know jerry sings about it in almost like a forlorn way in an emotional way that's saying wow you know this is really something we probably don't want to find ourselves in the middle of and uh you know we, we never want to get to a point where it says where we have to look to each other and say you know it doesn't matter anyway uh you know we need to we need to react and we need to be uh proactive on all of these things uh prior to that and you know, I suppose in that regard, and, and again, still trying to avoid politics as much as possible, you know, for people to come out and praise Putin and to say that the man's a genius and the man is this and the man is that, when this is the guy who's going to push a button and potentially change the world, um, you know, is, is very problematic because it takes.
1: Well, well, I don't think it is political anymore. I mean, I think what we're watching, unfortunately, like, look, you're right. There were certainly certain you know politicians and certain newscasters or you know TV personalities. I should better categorize them as. That you know did come out in favor of um, of Putin for a brief period of time, but I think in the last several days, watching what's happening, uh, I don't think there's too many people left in his camp, and certainly on the world stage, you know there's nobody left in his camp. I mean this is a, the best isolation. Well,
0: Donald Trump. Sure,
1: you know like look his his his, C, his CPAC speech certainly was, and Tucker Carlson certainly made some comments. So I think he'll you know eventually regret that he ever made them, but from you know the standpoint of you know total isolation on the world stage, what's happening right now to Putin. Uh, as a result of his just unprovoked aggression into Ukraine. You know, look, I, I think he set out to change the, um, the, the global political, uh, you know, have create a global political shift. And, and I think he'll succeed. But I think he'll succeed in a very, very different way than he intended. And I think that, you know, as he thought, this is going to test the resolve of the West and it's going to, you know, reclaim the glory of the former Soviet uh, Republic. I, I think what he's finding is, each day he gets further into this, the, the further on an island he's put himself until he's you know now approaching, you know, the former Kim Kim Jong-il status of uh, North Korea, you know, for that regime prior to passing on to his son. You know, like the, the sanctions that are going in, these are different than anything the, the United States has ever done, they're different than anything any other country has ever done. Putin may keep some you know some groups like the Belarusians or the or the Chechnyans that may remain on his side, but but ultimately he's got a huge, huge portion of the world that are just rejecting his politics and rejecting his aggression. And if you watch what happened at the UN Security Council meeting yesterday, where all the three countries got up and, and walked out on Sergei Lavrov, you know, that's, that, we've, we've never seen that. We, we've never seen a time where, you know, the entire world it essentially says, like, we're not having it, where they close their airspace to him. where yachts now are getting seized, where airplanes are getting seized, not just from, you know, from Putin, but from every oligarch whose ill-gotten gains have been developed through, you know, the suppression of their people. You know, and I, I think it's not without um, some outside chance that, that what's going to happen here ultimately will be that the revolution, you know, the Navalny revolution that, that Putin has feared so much within his own country is now sparked internally, where it's not even about, you know, Ukraine resisting the aggression and, and the world isolating Putin. But is this going to cause, you know, the, the Russian people to rise up and say enough is enough? I mean, so far, 7000 have been arrested already, and, and those numbers are going up you know, on a daily basis. Are we are we going to achieve what we've wanted as a world for a while? And, and as I said, I started this off by saying I don't think it's political in so much as I, I think that there's very, very few people on the other side of the aisle that, that I might sit on that disagree that, you know, this guy needs to be stopped. And at this point, it's clear.
0: Well, and you know what? we we I realize you guys will all be listening to this a few days after, uh, but while we're sitting here taping it on uh Uh, Wednesday, March 2nd, uh, last night was the State of the Union. And one of the things that really stood out to me was that on most of the statements that Biden made about uh, uh, the U.S. response to what was going on, he got applause from both sides of the aisle. And it was very heartening to see, uh, you know, bipartisan support in that instance and to know uh, that, you know, even though many times we sit here and think, boy, how worse can this get for all of us, that there are still a few certain things where, uh, at least as far as the world is concerned, you know, we stand united as a country, um, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, notwithstanding the behavior of a few Uh, junior junior republican members who are too junior to waste our time mentioning them by name who you know Thought it was time to you know turn to playground taunts, uh, you know the Republican Party leadership, and even you know a lot of those who have been uh, uh, you know perceived by the left as difficult to work with, and you know that's that's what we want to see, and that's what we need to see, and let the world know that you know we, we may be a country that's divided on our own internal issues, but as far as the rest of the world is concerned, uh, we're, we're very strong, and we're going to send a message to people like Putin that. Uh, you know, proceed at your own risk, basically. And I think that's not just us, but, you know, it's the 39 NATO
1: countries. It's, um, you know, the rest of the Western world, countries that you never, ever expected to be involved in in getting, um, you know, putting their neck out on this, including Switzerland, who's been, you know, famously neutral now for, you know, hundreds of years. Uh, Sweden and Finland, who, you know, never wanted to provoke uh, Russia for for fear of retaliation, are now supplying arms. You know, there's been rumors for days now that the Polish Air Force is going to supply, you know, MiG-29s to the Ukrainians. Uh, you know, Moldova, sh- you know, using their, uh, their country to, to shuttle, you know, goods and services and, and ammunition. And, you know, the U.S. as of today is, uh, you know, the day that we're taping this has now sent over Stinger missiles to, to make sure that there's, you know, better air defense against the Russians. You know, so short of like creating a no-fly zone right now in the Ukraine that would inevitably, you know, trigger a much, much larger confrontation. Uh, I-, I think the, the Western world Is doing everything it can to show, like, look, this isn't just about set one foot on NATO soil, but it's also, you know, we will do absolutely everything we can within our power without, you know, stepping over the line and and creating this conflict into something much greater. But again, you know, we're not we're not geopolitical experts out there to anyone. In in our, you know, Larry and I are are attorneys and and weed guys and music lovers, and there's a lot of other things we claim to be, but but you know, geopolitical scientists we are not. What we can tell you is, you know, I, I think. Much like everyone out there in our audience, we're following this closely, and it just made it really, really appropriate to uh, to discuss, you know, as a theme of this show, Bonnie Dobson's words. So you know, when we first started the show off. What you were listening to was from uh, Freedom Hall in uh, Kentucky on six eighteen seventy four. It was absolutely classic do, and I think everyone out there has got their own favorite versions of do.
0: But let me say this one thing about that, and 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 I, because we are kind of doing it in this chronological order and really focusing on that i'm not sure that there is another song in the grateful dead songbook and maybe not too many other songs in all of rock and roll that are so identifiable by playing one note jerry stands up there and plays that boom, boom and before he even gets to everyone knows what it is it's 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 classic it's it's amazing and I think it's what part of builds the whole thing of the show. You're hoping, 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 give me a do, give me a do, and you hear that note, and at that moment, you're like, yes, here we go, man. Buckle up.
1: Well, which is why, which is why I chose the Freedom Hall one, because that one has you know, the quintessential bow before it goes in. And the, uh, that first note, as you said, like, as soon as you hear it, you know, you know it's going down. And sometimes, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't come into it as a standalone. They sort of trickle into it and, and play it out of something. But once in a while, you get one where it's just, you know, the same way that first note is shakedown. You know, the second you hear it, you, you know you know it's a shakedown. And that's the same thing with, with do And with do. like, you know, I think there's, like, a, a collective um, exhale from the entire audience by about the sixth or seventh note of that song where you've kind of gotten over, like, all right, here we go.
0: For sure, yeah, it it it's great because not only are you enjoying it, but you know, for anyone, and, you know, and listen, if it's your first time hearing one, God bless, you know, who wouldn't want to go back and be able to relive their first live do again, but. Um, you know, uh, enjoy that. But by the second, do you know you're like the rest of us, where uh, it, it's not only is it wonderful that they're playing the song, but you know you can spend the whole song anticipating what's still to come within the song. You know, it, it it's uh, it, it's just a great thing all the way around. And um, as as we'll talk about more in a minute here, you know, entire Grateful Dead shows are are are, are classified or defined. You know just by the mere fact that a do is played it can save a bad show all night long they've been off jerry's been forgetting words bobby's you know doing whatever phil's out of tune the drummers are not keeping beat and all of a sudden you hear that note for morning and you're like screw the rest of it man now we're going to have some fun and I, I i i can't really recall ever hearing jerry go into a morning Dew and not do well i've never heard him forget the words in a morning do i've never heard him go in and stumble around with it it's a i think it's a very centering song for him and when uh when he's playing it he's kind of in a zone and and the deadheads feed off that energy that 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 he brings to the table with it both in the opening and as you'll hear in a minute or two here uh, in other clips of other do's we have from other venues, And, uh, you know, maybe why don't you go ahead and, and, and talk about what the next clip is going to be and uh, we can lead into that one and, uh, you know, give people an idea of where the song goes once uh, we get past the majestic opening.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, it knows the progression of the song knows that, you know, it, it sort of builds and builds and builds and builds, um, you know, really similar progression to, you know, maybe the way like uh, I'm trying to think of other songs that, that do it. That Scarlet, I guess, in some ways does it. But with "Do," you know, it, it stays pretty mellow in the jams in between each verse, but it's not until, you know, the, the, there's, you know, two major jams, um, one that precedes the ending and, you know, one that's kind of in the middle. But either one could, could just, you know, set the world on fire. So the next one we're going to listen to, you know, for me, like, there's, there's a handful of ones that everyone points to and says, you know, your repertoire of, of tapes or CDs or, or, you know, now just uh, streams isn't complete without, uh, without them in the collection. It's from 91887 from MSG. Which we've talked about the show before. To me, it's my favorite favorite second set of the 1980s. and It's the one that, not as a uh, morning dew, but it's one that went into the, the good love and the bomba good lovin', uh, which is just you know the watchtower before the dew is just amazing as well. But this dew, um, I think you know for the the jam uh, early on is about about as good as it gets. So let's cue that one up and, and listen to a bit of that.
0: and Well, if there's any doubt whether or not uh, New York fans like a good morning do, that that should uh, dispel any notion on that. Yeah, Jerry... uh comes out well and what i love about that is we talk about jerry showing the emotion of it and you know that's not always a place where the emotion comes in you know at the, he but you can hear it in his voice there and of course as you pointed out uh previously once we were listening to the show and we were listening to the la but we were commenting as well on you know how how you know much uh, emotion and, and energy jerry was pouring into that la Bamba. So it was clearly a good night for him um i can certainly see and understand why you or anybody would you know I'll uh, be raving about that show and it's one that I'm sorry I missed but uh, it, it, it's just great and when you know you hear that and you're like boy and now we've got the final jam and you know that that part that we're listening to right there in my mind that's them kind of you know beginning to lay the the final foundation for the final build-up that we get you know to the big you know kind of climactic moment at the very end of the tune which we'll he- hear on the way out and we'll talk about on the way out but before we you know get to all of that let's go back and uh uh it seems appropriate um you know to to maybe talk about some other dues that are out there for no other reason because you know to try and say that we can capture the essence of a morning do with three clips um would be kind of silly even for guys like us and uh you know we all you can do is find you know great moments here and there but everyone's seen a do that they consider to be their very best morning do ever And, and you know over the Time, you know, the, the tune has taken on different uh, formats. And, you know, one of the eras I think we have to look at certainly is the late 1960s, you know, particularly by 69, in the time that, you know, the dead were working on Live Dead. Um, and again, as we tape this today, uh, this is the uh, 53rd uh, anniversary of the fourth and final night of the dead's historic four night run at the Fillmore West. Uh, which was released as a box set a number of years ago often considered you know one of the best four night runs of the Grateful Dead ever just because uh, they were at their peak in the psychedelic stage and very very uh, many tunes from that show were uh, eventually made their way over to Live Dead uh, which of course for many people remains kind of the uh, the pinnacle uh, live album of the uh, record era before we started taping things and all of that kind of stuff and um those shows were so important as well, but those morning dues were, you know, almost a little bit different because you know Jerry hadn't quite gotten on top of it yet. He didn't have that quite the same power drive that we see in in some of these later versions. And and it always strikes me that in some of those earlier versions, it 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 almost sounds a little bit like the Bonnie Dobson version, uh, not quite getting there, but you, you can certainly hear it in there. Right? Yeah. I mean, those
1: early versions, very much much folkier and a lot less, you know, electric that you started getting, you know, towards the end. You know, the 66, 67 versions, you know, they started migrating to be, you know, kind of more psychedelic as well. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, 68 was, I think, really where do came into its own. And by like 69 and 70, in um, 71, like, I've, I've always loved that Phil East 429-71 is just one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and then, you know, the November 6th, like 1970, Porchester Chester Capital Theater is another one that from that era that just stands out. But there's so many, you know, sort of good ones that were really starting to show where the uh, the form of that song was going to take going going forward. But you know, starting I think in like '74 '75 is when he started getting the much more extended, you know, closings with a with a, a sound that I think we're we're more used to. It wasn't you know kind of that old Fender sound that he had in the '60s and started progressing to a much different tone in the do. But, you know, I, I love looking back and, and, you know, as I said, it's one of the few songs that stayed in the catalog all the way through. So watching the progression and watching, you know, sort of how they interpreted the song until, you know, and many people I think would say, like, the 77, 78 was, you know, the crescendo of the do. But so I don't I don't know, you know, Larry, like, how, how soon, like, after you started seeing The Dead, like, I got to see a do my first show. Like, how many
0: shows did it take you before you actually got a do? Oh, uh, let's see. It took me i was uh, i want to say it was my fourth show in madison wisconsin uh although i would have to definitely go back and double check it that would have been in 1983 um and it was you know it was it was great at that point everything that they played was was new and amazing to me and, and it was you know all very wonderful i would say that the first well not the first do but certainly one of the dues that i heard that that early on i guess you know in my dead career was in uh the last night of the uh, Dead did a four night run, four shows and five nights at Alpine Valley in 1988. And uh, just one amazing show after another. Uh, you know, for us, that was home base. So even though we had a schlep up to uh, Wisconsin, uh, leaving from the North Shore, it wasn't quite that bad. And uh, we always had places to go and stay. And our good friend Deanie often let her parents house be our home base with a fun swimming pool in the backyard and all that good kind of stuff but that morning due that night was just amazing and as jerry's playing it everybody's completely focused on him we were lucky to be inside the pavilion and we were on jerry's side of the stage uh, looking down on him and uh, he's in his little familiar almost kind of hunched over thing where he's looking down at his guitar and you know you're just amazed that this guy who doesn't move at all uh, that these amazing sounds are coming out of his guitar. And all of a sudden, we all noticed to our, what would have been t- to us to the right, but to Jerry, to his left, up on the edge of the stage. And the stage at Alpine Valley kind of stretched out a little bit beyond where the performers stood and then eventually kind of narrowed. Uh, some deadhead, uh, some guy who was looked like your standard deadhead with a tie-dye shirt and the baggy jeans and the long hair all over the place, had made his way up onto the stage and taken three or four steps towards Jerry and then just stopped. And he was standing there watching Jerry in much the same way that the rest of us were, but he was up on the stage. And at one point we noticed Jerry briefly glance up over his glasses and look at him, and Jerry just kept on playing. And this guy just, you know, was like, he was in awe, we were in awe, we were in awe of the whole scene. And um, I don't remember if it was Steve Parrish or, or one of the guys who was definitely a Grateful Dead guy and not a uh, local security guy or a local cop, walked over to this guy. They put their arm around his shoulder. They just kind of gently walked him off the stage. Jerry looked over for just a second to see you know what was going on and then just dived right back in. And you know, thundered through the rest of the show with the crowd going wild. That you know, that this guy had it was kind of like you know what every deadhead would like to do at that moment. You know, you want to be close to Jerry and feeling that energy, you know, zooming off of him while he's in the midst of a an amazing do. And I'm sure if this guy was on uh, uh, hallucinogens or anything, the the buzz was that much better. But to know that you know you're not going to get tackled and tossed aside like you know you might in some other types of shows by the security that would be there and you know surely you know that's not the way the hell's angels uh, would have necessarily handled the situation but you know it was a perfect way to handle it and the crowd i think was as appreciative of that uh as they were of the fact that you know it was just such a great morning due but that one stands out and uh is really hard to get away from and you can find it on youtube and someday maybe they'll release some of those shows but uh that was a that was a do for the ages. I think everyone remembers the dues that
1: were really you know exceptional. And for me, I think there was you know a handful of them in the spring of 1992 that were fantastic. I think 3992 ninety two from uh, from the Cap Center in Landover, Maryland, where they ended the show and then played Satisfaction as a, an encore was was pretty damn good. And then to close that tour, they played two nights, which you probably went to, Larry, at the Palace of Auburn Hills in uh in late March, March 23rd, I think, uh, 92. was, a, another amazing watchtower into a Do with a Glory Encore. And those, like, 92, again, wasn't really known for, you know, the, the best shows, but that was, uh, you know, there's definitely some spectacular highlights in, in Morning Dew, you know, probably the best ones I saw were during that tour.
0: 1985, I was at the uh, 20th anniversary shows at the Greek Theater, and the first night, second set, they came out and opened with a Morning Dew, and I had never seen that at all, um, and, you know, when you go back and you listen to some of the 68, 69, it wasn't all that rare. But for me, uh, it was just amazing that an entire set would would, would start off from a do because I always saw a do as kind of like being the soft blanket that you land on at the end of the you know a crazy night of, of rocking and rolling to whatever they're doing, and they just kind of give you this to help bring you down, um, you know, so that you can be in a, you know, a more reasonable frame of mind as you walk out the door. But it was great to see them open a second set with it. And the crowd loved it, and it, it created great energy. And another really good one is from a show that uh, hopefully we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks here, one of my favorite shows and one of my favorite second sets of the 1980s, and that's uh, from April 6, 1982 at the Philly Spectrum. And it's it's just a, an amazing second set. We won't talk about all of it now other than to say that um, they come out of the drums into a Bobby truck and into a Bobby other one and then into a uh, Jerry Do uh, and again, with one of those you know, telltale first note drops and the entire crowd just goes wild. And after such a great night of songs, um, you know, they're being treated to this morning dew. And that's, I think for a lot of people, uh, and, and this will be a good bridge into our, our final clip, at least that we won't necessarily listen to yet, but we'll, we'll set the table for. You know, when you talk about how a dew can really set the stage, a, a show that has nothing else going for it, a morning dew can make a difference. But this Philly show, for instance, was a solid show and would have been a solid show even if they had gone into Black Peter or Stella Blue. But the fact that they went into Morning Dew kind of elevated it up, you know, one step up the rung, that, you know, it was solid opener and solid, solid... And then, I mean, in everybody's perfect dead set list, you know, is there anybody out there who doesn't have Morning Dew as the, you know, the final Jerry Ballad, uh, you know, deep in the second set post-Drums in Space? And so when they pull it out, it 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 really makes it wonderful... You know, we were just thrilled to see, uh, as you're listening to that show, and boom, there it is, It it, it it's really, really good, and uh, it's a great show, and, and we'll, I think we'll talk about that in a few weeks.
1: Well, then I, I think, you know, that's the other thing about
0: it. the difference between going on
1: tour and just seeing, like, one or two shows as one-offs. You know, if you did that, you, you caught a couple of nights, you were really hoping you'd get a due, but, you know, you couldn't be guaranteed you'd get one. But if you're actually on tour, and you're like, okay, you know, the first night of tour was a Warfrat, the next night was a Peter, the next night was a, a Standing on the Moon, the next night was a... Um, you know, Stella, then you knew like each night you're like okay my chances of getting due are, are that much higher with each subsequent night where you're just counting it down going okay you know this is now the fifth or sixth night of tour and there hasn't been a due yet That, like you know you're more excited for the next night knowing that the last three or four nights didn't have one you know and I, I can't think of another song where I could think of where like it, you know for me it was crossing songs off a list to say how much closer to due am I <laughs> and that's that's the way I always felt about it and, uh, you know, I, I, and the, the crazy part is, like, you know, thematically, like, you know, for, for like, we've, we've talked about this, that you and I, I think, you know, pay probably more attention to the music than we do to the lyrics of most songs, so, you know, like, for me, musically, it's a, like, that's why we're jam band guys, right? It's not that we don't focus on lyrics or we be indie guys, right? You know, or pop guys. But, uh, you know, it's not to say that, like, the lyrics aren't, like, an exceptionally major part of, of the song, they, they are to me, but the story, I, I think, is always told through the music. And with Dew, I mean, like it, 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 there's very few other songs where I can think of The Dead covered like a theme that was that serious, you know, and I think you had it with China Doll. Um, I, I think, you know, Standing on the Moon certainly has it with, you know, War in general, but but nothing, nothing as heavy as Dew. And, uh, and, and I don't know...
0: Even throwing stones, which was ostensibly kind of a political song, but but none of those you know, none of those foretell you know life after the destruction of civilization mm-hmm. the way this one does, and and I think that that you know really makes it ring true for people in a certain way that you know it's like almost nice to hear the story because if you're hearing the story that means you're not living the story, and you know and Jerry can just come out and do it in a way that you know is is is, is special musically and is special and in every way he touches upon it. And one thing I do want to touch on, because we are going to, we'll let the cat out of the bag, and our final clip in a few minutes after we take care of some other business uh, will eventually be from uh, the Barton Hall show in 77, which of course, this is the question that Rob and I were kicking around the other day. Barton Hall 77, great show, no question about it. It's considered, you know, maybe the greatest dead show of all time. And now that I have it on CD and I can listen to it, I understand why people would say that. It's certainly an amazing show, but far and away as as good as everything else is in that show it's the do it's the do it's the do that stands out and it's not even just the do, it's the final three minutes of the do, of which we're going to hear about the final minute and a half. And that's that's the sound, that's what everybody takes as they walk out of that place, was this amazing do. And, and it almost makes me wonder sometimes if people don't go back and say, oh my God, that do was, yes, it was the best show of all time, or was it the best do of all time? Because it could have been the best do of all time without being the best show of all time. I wasn't there, I can't judge it at, you know, fairly enough, but... Um, it, it, it's certainly, you know, one of the, if not the, most famous morning dues that the Grateful Dead play, and uh, as you'll hear in a few minutes, uh, deservedly so. But
1: If you've been listening to the show, you know, you know that since we started introducing a little bit of musical clips into the show, we usually try to keep them to like 25, 30 seconds, you know, just to, to illustrate kind of what was being played and how they were playing and what the sound was and who was doing what. You can't edit 30 seconds of that of that Barton Hall do. I mean, so there's absolutely no way we can provide 30 seconds, you know, without just going, there's no place to stop where it's just not, you know, completely, totally in the middle of the crescendo of a peak, you know, during that entire ending. So when I kept, like, trying to find different places to start it or stop it, you know, and and technically, I think, you know, you're you're not supposed to play other people's music for too long, but at a certain point, like, I don't think, given, you know, where we are uh, in the world right now, that there is any person in the Grateful Dead organization that would have an issue of us playing a longer portion of Morning Dew. Based on just kind of what's happening
0: in the world. No, I think you're right, and and you know it's 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 important because even you know in these moments, and obviously, Rob, um, you know these are these are very uh, like we said, you know, important issues, and they strike all of us very hard and in different ways. And yet, you know, while Morning Dew can remind you of that, you know, to hear. The entire tune, but especially, you know, a beautiful ending and especially a beautiful ending like Barton Hall, I think really kind of sends you on your way with a little bit of hope and, uh, you know, a feeling that, um, you know, the warning is, uh, you know, as, as deep and dire as the warning might be. It's just a warning, and you know we're we're out there trying to you know keep the world together and in one place, and hopefully, uh, people would do it. And who knows? Maybe if we could get it translated into Russian and send it over to Putin, uh, and he listened to it, uh, it might make a difference. You never know.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, and that's the thing. I mean, for, for me, like when you think about the lyrics of songs, even though the thematically they're very similar, "Standing on the Moon" to me is a, is a, a song of hope. That's a song of, like you know like, like hey, everything's fucked up, but you know it's fixable due to me is not due to me is resignation it's you know like we're 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 past that we we blew
0: it right by the time we get into morning dew right by the time we get into the, the what's happening with morning dew you're 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 we're we're long past that situation there's no question about it but again you know you, you know any we tell a story of, of woe and despair you know i think it's human nature you know to try to find a way uh, to put some sort Right.
1: well the, the art is the warning you know, like the, like the, 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 that's the beauty of it is, is you know it's being written before you have to say that there's resignation and it's you know it's it's preventative it's a prophylactic to, to you know what sh- what could happen but you know once and all you remember there's assholes out there that, that don't look at it that way to them it's you know like the the, the world isn't um, something that uh, is shared. It's something that they believe
0: is theirs. Right, or certainly that they are, for for whatever reason, that of all the human beings that have ever walked this planet, that somehow they've been the ones anointed to think that if they want to push a button and end civilization... Uh, you know they not only have a right to do so, but maybe that they were destined to do so. You know, and that's certainly been our our, our concerns with all the various uh, you know Kim family members in in Korea, for, North Korea, for quite some time. Um, but you know, I think that was always tempered by the fact that we've never been given any reason to, to truly believe that they they have the technology to pose a, a viable threat, um, or at least a threat that you know will be keeping us up at night. Whereas Russia, you know, we've all learned from the day we were born, unfortunately for our generation, uh, you know, that they are out there and that they're a reality. And I mean, in fact, I was born uh, within a few weeks of the uh, Bay of Pigs, um, you know, and who knows things go a little bit differently one way or the other there and maybe i'm not so you know we, we you, you can't escape those moments and take them for granted uh but by the same time i think and um one of the things i always loved about jerry was kind of that he tried to put a positive spins on things you know when he sings dear mr fantasy instead of you know sing us a song to take us out of this gloom he always sings, sing us a song to keep us out of this gloom, you know. He's he's already on the positive side of it. You know, we're, we're not we're not living in gloomy times, man. We're we're talking about it, maybe, but we're on the positive side, and that's where we want to stand. That's where we want to be. And that's I, a great point. And I always loved hearing that. And and I think the same thing here that, you know, the the emotional ending that he gives us allows the deadheads and everybody for a minute to you know to to kind of let go of the deeper message of the song and just kind of revel in the, uh, you know, the moment that Jerry creates for us and, and, and take something positive out of there as we walk out the door. Yeah.
1: And then look, I, I want to make sure that we're clear that I don't think either you or me believes that, you know, nuclear holocaust is happening anytime soon despite the fact that they're saber rattling. And it, it, it just, it, it bothers me to no end that some asshole out there thinks it's okay to even consider um, threatening, right, in, in in any way.
0: Right. Well, look, our generation, relatively speaking, has been very lucky in that we have not, you know, had to sit and face down uh, very many situations where, you know, there was a real, uh, you know, credible threat of somebody being crazy enough to use nuclear weapons. But, you know, certainly uh, Vladimir Putin and, and the mere fact that he's undertaken this campaign and and all of the nonsense that he spews out to try to justify everything that he's doing, um, you know, all of a sudden has to make. Anyone stop and think for a moment, at least, um, you know whether this man is in fact capable of taking that that next step. And you know, we 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 listed all the things that all the um, countries in the world are doing to help. And you know, for some of those countries, Putin has already issued a warning that, you know, if you do that, you can expect our response to you know possibly even be nuclear level. And I, you know, I think a lot of these countries are, you know, calling his bluff on that to some degree, at least. And while I hope it doesn't get into a, uh, a dangerous situation or anything like that, you know, where, where it becomes credible, you know, it's it's nice to know that people are basically saying to him, look, we're not going to let you hold us hostage. We're not going to just sit by and let this be business as usual. And you know, we live in a world now that, for better or for worse, and maybe in this case for better, is so interconnected that you know, as you and I were talking about, Rob, it, it's possible to hear directly from the people on the ground and, and, you know, to avoid altogether the propaganda machines that are trying to feed us whatever story they want us to believe.
1: And by the way, the, the noise that you guys just all heard on the podcast right now that, that piped in for a second, I apologize for, was me actually trying to pull something up that I was going to share with the audience, which is, you know, um, th- there are some mediums out there that aren't, you know, your, your traditional news organizations. You know, they're, they're instead people that are on the ground that are trying to get the word out of what's happening in Ukraine directly. And, you know, one that I'd point to that I've just found to be an exceptional, exceptional resource uh, is on Clubhouse, and uh, the room is called The Big Picture. And uh, that room has now been opened for six straight days without a single second of closing the room down. It's averaged over a 1,000 people at a time in that room. Over 250,000 people have tuned into that room, and the entire goal of that room is, is one-fold, and that's to provide accurate information of what's happening. It has to be verified information. If it's conjecture, if it's you know not confirmed by multiple news sources that are reliable, they don't talk about it. someone else tries to bring it up, they'll shut it down, and say, sorry, that's unconfirmed, we don't have confirmation on that yet. But it's curated by you know 20 different you know tech professionals and other people that work either in the UN or work in, in other government agencies. But they've just gotten together and decided, you know, hey, this needs to be done, someone needs to do it. And they're calling not just from US media, not just from British media, but you know, directly from media sources all over Eastern Europe. And in fact, there's plenty of people from the Ukraine or probably from Ukraine. That are continuing to go into that room and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm in cave right now, or I'm I'm in um, you know car cave right now, and this is what's happening. This is what we're seeing real time. And on top of that, they're also providing information on you know if you want to get involved and you want to donate, here are the organizations that can do it. You know, we don't talk about it too much, but guys like uh, Jose Andres, who is you know just done exceptional work in feeding people that are in you know war zones or after you know major tragedies. There's a ton of different ways that people out there can get involved." Outside of just saying like go you know go U S sanction the hell out of these guys, but if you actually want to be directly involved, like there's five or six million refugees that are now leaving Ukraine for Poland and for other parts of the of, of Western Europe, that you know need to get fed. There, there's you know, we, we talk about the war and the damage of war right now. You know we're six days into it. It's, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse, and the humanitarian crisis and the disruption of the food supply and the disruption of the water supply and the disruption of everything else that's about to happen to these major cities it is going to be catastrophic.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Something's got to be done. There's no question about it. So if, find, find the thing you want to support. You know,
1: Find it and, and figure out a way to start You know, donating. Find a way to, to, to donate your time. If nothing else, find a way to listen to what's happening on the ground so you can truly educate yourself and not just hear what CNN wants you to see or what Fox wants you to see. You know, that's great. They've got some human interest stories here and there, and they you know, focus on one family and a, a little girl who's hugging her mother as you know the father gets on the train. I, I get it. Those stories, you know, they touch you emotionally. But hearing the real voices of the real people in real time as they're actually explaining to you what it's like to be in a bomb shelter in Kyiv.
0: Pretty powerful stuff. And, you know, until you've actually listened to it, you know, you, you can't really imagine it. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing that with us too, Rob, because, uh, you know, it's important for those of us that haven't made that connection on Clubhouse yet and understood what some of those resources are that are available to us in this very, you know, hyperlinked and, and connected world. Um, you know, and it, it, it's, I mean, the stories that have been coming out about uh, the way people have used the Internet, um, both for purposes of communication as well as for purposes of disrupting the uh, uh, the Russian logistics efforts has been uh, nothing short of amazing. And I think that, you know, when all is said and done and people have the time to go back and really, Uh, revisit and and write about what happened during these times, we're going to find about a lot of people who, um, you know, through their bravery and courage to uh, keep the rest of the world informed and up to date, um, you know, helped avoid a situation where somebody like Putin could shape the argument and the dispute however he wanted because the other voices just couldn't be heard. So um, certainly to people who are interested in it, please tune in.
1: Yeah, and, and I'll say that as powerful a medium as like Facebook is or Instagram or Twitter is nothing. Like, literally, when it comes to this kind of content, nothing is more powerful than the human voice.
0: True. And it's the human voice, whether the human voice is talking, whether the human voice is singing, which, you know, again, inevitably takes us back to Jerry. And, um, you know, the the ability to, uh, to do what he does in, in, in such a profound way. And, um, you know, many a night have, you know, have I walked out of a show after... Uh, uh do like that with tears in my eyes and i've seen the people next to me and all over the place it's hard not to because you do kind of get that raw mixture of of doom and dread of emotion of you know beautiful soulful music, uh, as well as for most of us, except the night when it opened the show. That oh my God, this means the show is almost over. If they're into Morning Dew now, um, but nevertheless, it was uh, it was always great. Uh, and you know we all had our Morning Dew T-shirts that were the takeoff on Mountain Dew and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was mandatory to have it. And the game was always to try to wear it the night when they played a Dew. Um, and you know of course uh, the way the Dead World works is any night you're expecting to hear a song, you're usually not going to hear it. And you have to go in thinking, ah, forget about it, or not even thinking about it, and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, there it is. Yeah,
1: I mean, you and I had some great uh, some cannabis news to discuss, but honestly, I think after the show we've just done, I don't think it's you know necessarily all that appropriate. Yeah, I think we can you know table it.
0: No, and you know what? It, it, look, it's cannabis news, and and while cannabis news is great to talk about, um, you know, in terms of what's happening on the world stage, it it really kind of loses its importance right now. Except, I will say. Uh, for uh, its ability to provide those who use it with perhaps a slightly more calming and relaxed attitude uh, as we try and sit here and assess what's going on with the world. Uh, and still be able to function and sleep and and do all of those kind of things, um, and so uh, certainly you know to be in a state where uh, it's legal to come you know having just been out in California for a week uh, where it's 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 more than legal it's kind of like the tap water almost uh, you know to be, yeah, you smoke weed on rooftops uh, and right you know beautiful well and like I told you that moment you know that, uh, people can laugh at this they can say whatever they want but there is something that's much different about smoking weed outdoors in California especially there up on the top of a, a peak after a wonderful 45 minute climb, uh, with good friends or wherever it might be, uh, that just, uh, you know, kind of takes you to a different level. It's like those moments you feel that this is what, you know, marijuana maybe was made for, uh, to, you know, really take these moments and help enhance them. And, um, although I'll always be happy to smoke it anywhere, there's not quite the same feel doing it in Skokie, Illinois, as there is uh, uh, doing it on a rooftop in San Diego, watching the ocean roll in and the sunset. Um, and for those of you who haven't done that lately, let me suggest that that is something that is well worth doing, uh, and it does help you get away for a week and um, relax and unwind. So I think that uh, we've addressed this issue for enough today. People will have plenty of stuff to go and think about, um, hopefully they will think about it in a positive way and uh, you know think for ways that we can all as a society better ourselves and better the world and you know show guys like Putin that we don't really care about him and that uh, he can't take over just because he looks good on a horse with no shirt. So you know we'll see where we go with that. Um, we've got some great shows coming up in the future. We are going to talk about this dead show from uh, Philly uh, in early April. Uh, we have some very, very uh, uh, interesting guests. Uh, one or two of them from inside the uh, the dead family. Again, we're not going to drop names yet until we know exactly when and how we're going to have these people on. Uh, but please stay tuned to the Deadhead Cannabis Show uh, future episodes, uh, and uh, we will not disappoint in that regard. Rob, I got to tell you, thank you for um, for for suggesting this topic today. It's it's a little bit different from us to. Uh, focus on one song as opposed to a, a particular show but i think that it was both timely and uh you know there's probably very few songs in the Dead's repertoire that that have the same meaning and impact that morning dew does and you know makes it uh a, a very very appropriate topic for this type of format yeah thanks um yeah, a bit bit more emotional than than I expected. That's uh, that's what nuclear war will do to you, unfortunately, and uh, you know, and, and Jerry Garcia can do it to you on a beautiful night as well. Um, so, having said all of that, uh, and as we head out here, uh, I'm going to say my goodbyes, and I'm going to turn the show over to Rob, so he can introduce uh, the closing moments of perhaps the greatest morning dew of all time from what many people consider perhaps the greatest Grateful Dead of all Grateful Dead show of all time. Uh, to everyone, this is Larry Michigan. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to talking to y'all next week. Enjoy your marijuana and cannabis responsibly. Rob, it's all you. Thank you.
1: And uh, yeah, we're gonna close this with a nice big clip from 5877 at Barton Hall uh, in Ithaca, New York, on the the uh, campus of Cornell University. It is the legend, you know, the the show that everybody's always had, uh, one that you know very rarely you listen to anymore because we've all listened to it so many times. But this do is, is the do to end all do's and uh, with that, uh, I'm Rob Hunt and I stand with Ukraine.